<laughs> After making memories singing this morning, Father, again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Uh, we tried to sing about it, and uh, as the, the poetry of that song goes, we could never fill up the ocean uh, with enough ink to be able to write of the wonders of your love. And Father, your love is just one aspect of who you are. It's one of your attributes and character uh, characteristics. And so, Lord, uh, we can't even exhaust that, much less the totality of who you are. Lord, as we study this idea of prayer and we approach your word looking at how we relate to you and we talk to you, we commune in fellowship with you, Lord, it's, it's, uh, it's inexhaustible. Lord, and so with humility, uh, we, we want to look at this idea. Would we all be encouraged and strengthened? Father, would we be all encouraged to personally reflect and uh, grow in our walk with you through this? And uh, would you just challenge us uh, in, in this area that we might live uh, further dependent upon you? Thank you for every heart that is here this morning and listening, and uh, to your glory. We do pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. So we did start our new little study last week, and we're looking at the idea, and we're using Pastor Kevin Sadler's little booklet on a praying life as the foundation for this, as the, the start of it. And so we looked at uh, some of the different characters, uh, uh, men and women of, of Scripture, throughout the Bible that were known to be praying people. We looked at that example. We also asked some common questions that exist about it, and in time we'll be able to address some of those questions as we go along. And then where did, where did we end our time together? We started looking at the postures that, uh, that one can take and can assume with prayer. And remember, we said this isn't, prescriptive of you must do these. These are just illustrative in scripture by multiple people across dispensations uh, that these things are present. And some of them offer different things or different food for thoughts. Some of them, as we'll see, are even symbolic of, of different ideas. What was the posture we talked about last week? Uh, I know we have the handouts actually handed out now. That uh, first posture we looked at, where halfway down the page list five possible prayer postures. What was the first one? Yeah, bowed knees. All right, and the, the greatest example, uh, and, and we'll reference this multiple times, is Ephesians chapter 3 and Paul's prayer there, where he gets down on his knee and we said, you know, that this is the heart of what is God doing today? Well, this is the the, the application of the revelation of what God is doing through Paul. So beautiful, beautiful passage. We know that Christ bowed down on his knees. Uh, Daniel, Ezra, all these men uh, of God bowed on their knees. So now uh, we'll move on to the, to the other postures, and, and we can't belabor them all. One we probably will look at a little bit more just to help bring more understanding because it's one we probably don't talk often about, but there's also probably more question about it than, than others. So we'll spend a little time with it. But the second position um, is standing with lifted hands. All right, and that 
uh, the, the passage of scripture referred to there is from 1 Kings chapter 8. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8, and that will be the, the, uh, the jumping point. First Kings chapter eight. And if you begin at verse 22, which we're not, well, actually uh, 22 is, is where the passage begins. But uh, who is engaging here, who the narrative is about, is about King Solomon. And this is a glorious time. Um, there is a prayer of dedication for what they had been working on in the, the temple of the Lord. And we look in verse 22 of chapter 8. Uh, Doug, would you mind reading that for us, please? I'm sorry. First Kings, sorry. I'm there. <laughs> okay. 822. Yeah. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. All right, thank you. Just the idea, he's he's standing. This is this is a public prayer. So if, if we're actually making like kind of bullet point lists of different aspects of prayer, you know, Paul bowing down on his knees, that so the, his posture, he did get on his knees. And we'd also add a little context that that was in private, you know, most likely. It was public-private, right? Because Paul did get on his knees, but he's very public- about this is where he gets with the Lord, right? He's actually sharing with the Ephesian saints. I get on my knees and I'm telling you, in fact, as I'm writing this, there's the idea of I bow, present tense. Like I'm actively doing this on your behalf. Uh, so there's there's private, but it's, it's public as well. Solomon right here, this is a very public prayer. This is at the dedication, all right? And so those two aspects, uh, we see this as an example in the dedication of the temple. When we dedicate something, we, we, we do kind of sometimes have dedication services, right? Um, oftentimes a young family will have a child. And what will we want to do? We'll do... Uh, Baby dedications, right? It's it's not uh, ceremonial in the sense of it's it, it's not a baptism. It's not you know, but what it is is it's a public acknowledgement and a public consecration. That's a fifty dollar word. I'll give you five cents if you know what it means though. When you consecrate something, yeah, you you set it aside from everything else and. As you set it aside, you're setting it apart distinctly from everything else. Uh, there were lots of buildings that Israel built. There were lots of things that they built, cities. that Well, God promised them a nation. Well, a nation has cities. A nation has all these things in it. But then, uh, you know, here Solomon, they, they built this temple, the dwelling of the Lord. This would be a beautiful prayer to actually just sit here and study. It's a lot of fun to read it. But he's, he's consecrating and he's setting it aside and saying, this, this is for the God of heaven. This is for, uh, for him, for his use, and it's special. Along with the idea of consecration and, and setting aside, you know, we, we attach other words to it. So consecration, 
uh, dedication, even holiness, all right? Just the idea of holiness or our, our $50 word for it, the processes of us becoming holy in our daily life, we say that that is sanctification. We've all heard that word, right? Or sanctification, the holiness being worked out in our life. And, and even in that idea, there's a set apart to purity, to cleanliness, for God's use, all right? It's, a, it's sanctified, it's set apart. So Solomon is here praying before the people, and he, and he has lifted hands. Now, is this the only place we see this aspect or, or this behavior, posture, brought out in terms of prayer? You see, it's, 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 it's actually spoken of in lots of places. And we're going to, we'll look at a couple examples and we're going to see some of the symbolism of it as well. But go with, Paul talks about this as well. Uh, and go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is teaching Timothy even at the at the end of his ministry. All right, so um, so time has elapsed. Paul's not ignorant of what what's going on in God's grace. All right, and uh, this is we're we're at the end of his ministry. The baton is being passed, and at in this juncture, at this timeline, Paul says states something and teaches something here in this passage. First Timothy chapter two. Verse 8, he says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. And then he throws in this curious pass, this curious phrase that we don't look at often, where he says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, and then he goes on, and there's further instructions uh, uh, for the women know that this is on the heels there were further prayer instructions up in verse one it's important for us to kind of note that as well first timothy chapter two verse one sonia would you read mind reading verses one through four please therefore i exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thanks. So if we're kind of amassing things that we're studying or, or, or points to put together as we study prayer, you know, what do we pray for? That's kind of one of the questions, or what am I allowed to pray for? This is one of those things God does clearly say, hey, here's some things that I'd like you to talk to me about, all right? That these are things in the world, and God uses these things. And, and this is, once again, while this is personal, this is public-facing in the sense of your focus is outward, right? Paul's not just praying about himself here, Uh He's, he's praying for the government, for kings, for those who are ruling in authority. You know, uh, this is praying beyond your own borders, 
I would probably put it. This is an others-centered sort of prayer. Even beyond, you know, we pray. I, I think if we're honest, most of us probably pray for ourselves most of all. At least that comes most naturally to us. And then we widen the circle. We pray for our loved ones. We pray, pray for the people of our church. We pray for our, our, our family. And as that, that extends out, and there's strong encouragement that we need to widen the circle even more to be encouraged. So we pray for those authorities as we see the sovereignty of God that they're 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 still in power, and um, and we respect and we honor them, but we, we pray for them at the same time. So we already know those are some of the things that we're praying about, but then we see delineated out in verse eight, uh, praying everywhere. Well, we, we know that. That, that instruction is repeated lots of different places, right? I, I pray without ceasing. Well, that means all the time. Geography is incorporated in this. Pray everywhere. So without ceasing, it doesn't matter where you're at. Go ahead and pray. And this idea of lifting up holy hands. Sometimes we forget the Jewishness of Scripture, meaning the that uh, Paul, prior to his name changes, Paul, who was he? Saul. He was Saul. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, and uh, and he knew the customs and the practices of the nation of Israel. And this idea for us, and and this is where you see, kind of see the cultural component of like we don't necessarily lift up holy hands to pray. So this feels a little awkward when we, when we read this and, and we'll talk about the, the idea. Yeah. The, the focus here is on the, the holiness and that's often what we focus on. But um, for them, there is a practice throughout the old Testament. And, and I think there's something relevant in that uh, symbolically, at least uh, there's something to be, to be gained by looking at it. And the fact that Paul reiterates this at the end of his ministry, I think, I think we need to take note of that. And there's application for us of, Hmm, we need to think about that. There, there, there might be something there for us. So what is the significance of this is in the context of prayer and lifting up holy hands, just like, um, just like Solomon did right in that. So what was Solomon doing when he lifted his hands and, and prayed before the people. He was dedicating the temple, right? There was a, a consecration of that. There's a couple of things that I believe are represented in the idea of, of lifting up holy hands in prayer to the Lord. One of those uh, is very relational. And we're going to see that there's a couple of really good quotes that Pastor Sadler has in here. And I don't want to jump ahead and read the quotes. We'll get there soon enough today. But very relational. And prayer is in the context of who we are in Christ and that we're nestled securely in, uh, you know, uh, God as Abba Father. And we have the Spirit interceding for us, you know, and uttering groanings, which cannot be heard, all of that. And then we have Christ as our mediator. That's what Romans chapter 8 is about if you take time uh, right now at BBI, there's an online chapel series called More Than Conquerors. Pastor Kern brought it out. 
I brought it out. I think it stood out to both of us in our study of that passage. The context of why we're more than conquerors is that each of us are smack dab center in the Trinity, you know, just like wrapped up in God himself as God the Father, whereas we cry out to him as Abba and the, the spirit interceding in Christ as our mediator. Um, and so in the context, in the safety, in the um, bold freedom and access that we have to God, there is an aspect of, I'm, I, I, I didn't work this out, but I'm gonna, I'm, I think I know what's going to happen when I, when I ask this illustration. When you get home, Pastor Kern, and Hannah sees you, what does Hannah want to do when she sees you? Does she lift out her hands? Does she come to you sometimes? Sometimes. No. <laughs> sometimes she please. Dad with his iron rod is here. No. <laughs> she runs away. No. I think of a small child. All right. And that idea of a small child's naturally going to reach out for what makes them feel safe and for where they feel comfortable and, and what they long after. And this is an idea that's represented symbolically in, in holding out of hands and lifting of hands in scripture. Go to Psalm chapter 28. Psalm chapter 28. David, pretty good example. You know, the uh, scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart, right? And, uh, I mean, David didn't just pray. He prayed in poetry, right? And he turned his prayers into songs sometimes. But in David's distress, he prays this in Psalm 28, 1 and 2. He says, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you were silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. There's an idea of, of when when I'm in distress, it's like a little child going, eh, eh, come get me. Hey, Dad. There's a lifting of hands. This, I see this, and we know, you know, Psalms wasn't necessarily written in chronological order. It's like, on Monday, I wrote chapter 27. On the next day, I wrote this next thought. And they're not connected in that sense, but they're compiled right after one another. I want us to go to chapter 27, so the psalm right before it. And look at the disposition of David, who is labeled a man after God's own heart. Look at the disp the whole disposition of him is, is amazing, and it comes out in this chapter. But look at verse 7 and 7 and 8. Cynthia, do you mind reading verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 27, please? Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. All right. Um, he goes, when I hear that, you know, 
the idea I hear, you know, you picture God as as a father. David, and, and what do we teach all of our kids to say, or so many, you know, we seek them, for them to acknowledge us, and they say, yes, Dad, I'm coming. And that's the heart of what I see David doing right here. When you said, seek my face, so God says, seek my face, and he's like, your face, Lord, I'm seeking it. You know, yes, Dad, I'm coming. That's the 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 bent of David's heart of, okay, God, I'm coming after you. And so uh, if David, above all, wants to seek after God, you know, it's expressed out that, you know, that's the desire of his heart. He lives it out as an example there in the, the next song, you know, when... Um, when he cries out, I lift up my hands. You know, it's an expression, hey, Dad. So that is just one example of uh, a desire to move towards, you know, and that, that's just a symbol of it. Do you, and does a child have to be taught, hey, when you, wanna, when you want to come to Daddy, I want you to go like this so I know you want to come to me. No, it's just intrinsic. There's the body naturally moves kind of that place and I think there's an idea that, that that sometimes in certain places in certain things you know uh, the desire of the heart it, it's just expressed it's it's an expression of the relational aspect that we all have um, go to Psalm 143. Psalm 143, and let's do verses 5 and 6. So Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. John, do you mind reading that, please? I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth mine hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. See. All right. You see that idea? I spread out. I, I, I spread out my hands to you, Lord. My soul longs for you. There's a disposition that is just being demonstrated by that. It, the heart worked out physically with that. Is David using it like, hey, this is how I get to God? No, that wasn't it at all. But it, it overflowed from what he had. And this is even under the law, which I find, you know, just that much more fascinating. There's a, a, a negative example of this idea uh, that can be turned on its head. But in the book of Isaiah, starting out, if you want to take notes and want to go here on your own, Isaiah 115, where God's like, he, he said, I'm, I'm done with you. Uh, and he's, I, I don't want to pay attention or listen to you with, with your arms raised out and your arms lifted and spread out before me. Well, why on earth would God say that? Well, in the book of Isaiah, there's judgment coming upon the nation of Israel. Why? Because of their unrepentant, uh, their lack of faith and belief and lack of adherence to what he has for them. They 
their hearts were far from God, yet their hands would have been, hey, God, we're right here. They would have been doing the thing without the faith behind it, without the, the heart belief. And, and that's the example. And, and I really think that's part of the rub of why we maybe sometimes respond a little viscerally against this idea because it is so public. Everybody can see what you're doing if, if there's something like this in terms of prayer. And uh, the interesting thing and the thing we always need to be brought back to in any one of these postures that we might see demonstrated in Scripture, it's always that heart aspect of where's your heart at with the Lord just because the nation of Israel took this to a wrong place you know, as well, where they're, they, it wasn't communion with God. It was just a, a thing I do. And I think we've, we all might intrinsically understand that because there are, there are different faith persuasions, denominations, religions, where posture and prayer is prescribed, right? You get down on that knee and you're there now. And then at the end of this song, and then you and it's up and down and up and down. There's not enough ibuprofen in the world to lead that type of worship and service, right? You know that that just sounds like I'm I'm too tired to go to church today. I can't pray, you know. Uh, in in uh, any one of these things taken out of balance, that's taken that that's that's not the freedom and balance of of the examples set forth in scripture. Israel took it to a wrong place at times, but yet we see uh, a God-honoring approach as well taken at times. So one representation here is just a response to who God is is in that that relational aspect. There is also, um, uh, and this is a posture that's assumed during times of distress. If we were to pick a book of distress, Pick a book in the Bible that talks about distress. It's probably not going to be your first choice, but it might be your second choice. Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And in my mind, distress, I go to Job first, and then I'm like, okay, Lamentations, it's in the name. All right, so go to Lamentations chapter 2. So we're not too, too far away from it, <clears throat> where we were here at the end of Psalms. But Lamentations chapter 2 and at the end here, you know, once again, judgment is coming upon uh, the nation. And in the distress that they're, that they're experiencing and the, the judgment coming upon them, we see the nation of like, ah, you know, kind of like a, a, a small child. But let's look, Lamentations... Um, Two, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Would you mind reading that, Terry, please? Oh, sorry. Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Let tears run down like a river, day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. Yeah. And particularly with the, you know, with the, the judgment that's coming along, like, you know, 
just intercede, distress is coming and intercede for your children, for, for all that's coming. And, and it's expressed through this idea. But look when, in, in contrast to what we referenced in the book of Isaiah, look what happens when heart change comes into place, when repentance comes in and there is a heart bent towards the Lord. Look over in chapter 3, verse 40 through 42. So chapter 3, verses 40 through 42. Andy, do you mind reading that? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. All right, you see, there's the change, you know, like it lift up. Now we're not in distress. There, there's repentance kind of coming. So we're painting a picture that, that this is just an expression of various seasons of life and seasons that occur even within the life of the Christian, correct? Are there times of distress? Yeah. That you might just be being squashed and, yeah, help me. Are there seasons where where the Lord gets a hold of our heart in different way, in, in a stronger way than he ever has before, where there is heart change and there's greater alignment with who he is and what he's doing and what he wants for our life. Yeah. And in all those, those can be expressed as we're communing with the Lord. You know, it, there's almost just like a natural expression. I can, I can, you know, say, well, let me, t let me, let's talk about the next section and, and I'll share a little bit of uh, personal musings with that. All right. So in, in distress, we see this. And then we go back. We all already saw, you know, Solomon dedicating to the temple. And, and this is very public, you know, with it. And, and um, But there is a scriptural uh, precedent set of, of consecrating something with hands lifted and even an idea of transference. Uh, from me to you through a laying on of, of hands. So in the sense of in prayer, if it's just the lifting of hands, it's like, here, God, I'm giving this to you. Uh, whereas the, the biblical example of transference, i.e. with the nation of Israel in their sin sacrifices, is anybody, anybody aware of what individuals would have to do Say for some of these sin offerings. Lay their hands on the sacrifice. Yeah, they lay their hands on the sacrifice. They put their hands on the sacrifice. Uh, even at the Day of Atonement, we could look at Leviticus chapter 16. Um, Leviticus, in fact, let's just go there. Leviticus chapter 16. This is going through, I mean, if we think about what Leviticus is, we see the word Levi in it. And so we know this is about Tongito's son. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right. So uh, Levi of the tribe of Levi, these were God's servants as intercessors for the, the, the children of Israel. They were, they were uh, a tribe set aside, dedicated, consecrated 
for service. If we really wanted, we could go back to Exodus chapter 29. In fact, if you want to take notes and look at this on your own, Exodus 29, the whole chapter is about what was going on uh, and what needed to happen for Aaron and his sons in that tribe to be set apart as priests so that they would be set apart to help set the nation apart. Do you know what they had to do? There was a whole week of sacrifices that went on. And before every sacrifice and every uh, sprinkling of everything, do you know what Aaron and his sons had to do? Lay hands on that sacrifice, whether it was a bull, whether it was a ram, they laid hands on them. Uh, it. The, the imagery in the law of, of transference, but of uh, transference, consecration, and dedication leading to uh, sanctification, setting apart, is very powerful and strong all through Exodus 29. Uh, it's all through the book of Leviticus as well, but we're here at the Day of Atonement, pretty important part, day of the year for the nation of Israel when the, the sins of the nation would be covered over and atoned for. This was that day as we were back in Nehemiah, right? We had the Feast of Trumpets, a day of celebration. We had the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a day of celebration and ingathering in God's provision, the prophetic nature of all that, sandwiched in between those two times was the Day of Atonement. That's why Nehemiah was saying, hey, don't cry today. Today's, not, today's joyful. That's what trumpets are all about. It's joy. There's a time to cry, and that's coming up. That's the Day of Atonement. All right, a somber day, it says. And here is the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. Look at verse 20. Um, Corey, do you mind reading 20 through 22, please? Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, pass over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a servant man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to the inhabited land, and it shall be as a memorial to them. What a living illustration, right? They lay their hands and they they the you know, transference of the guilt, the judgment, the penalty, and then that goat would, would, it would be gone. It would go away. This isn't even a sacrifice here. There's other sacrifices, you know, it's written all the way through, uh, just your regular, your regular run of the mill burnt offering, uh, peace offerings. Uh, you know, there, there's all of these express that this transference there. So can you see that there's, there's a picture here of, you know, I'm, it's taking away from me and giving it to another. And this is where I, I would share my own personal, you know, musings of this. Along the daily crucible of life, all right? What's a crucible? You know, like a hard pressing, right? You know, the distress. Through daily living, we all go through hard things and, you know, uh, of late, I mean, I can picture some very hard things that my family is going through. We're being really pressed, and, and we feel like I, if you were making grape juice out of us, there's no more liquid to be gotten, 
right? But yet, there probably is. <laughs> I'm not the architect of that one, all right? But in, in, in that distress, and I'll tell you that as, as you're just, you know, it, that idea of just, Lord, take this. I, I can't do it anymore, all right? It's also a sign of surrender, isn't it? Uh, not it, you know. Put your hands up and we're coming in. Doug's probably said that on the job before, right? <laughs> Put your hands in the air, you know. <laughs> uh, there's there's a very real idea. Now, does the act of just going like this, does that change anything? No. But I will tell you that in pain and distress so grave and so challenging where I am pressed beyond measure where I, you, our faculties really truly have nothing to offer anymore, right? Which I, I, I will say that's exactly where the Lord wants us, you know, um, because we get a little too wise in our own eyes at times and we think we can handle it. Well, I'm keenly aware of my own inability whenever I'm being pressed, all right, whenever I am struggling. And as I'm working through that emotion, as I am talking to my Father, and as the Spirit of God interprets my prayer, because I don't know what to pray for, as all of that's happening, and I'm resting securely, but I'm just seeking the Lord in fellowship and communion and union, can I share with you that there are times where it's, Lord, I can't. And in this expression is in my heart a giving up of what I think I can bring to the situation and an accepting, an acceptance of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his power in my life. Does that make sense? <clears throat> There's nothing special about this, but I will say that as the, the truth and reality of, of the utter access that we have to God, you know, and, and now, am, am I allowed to do this? No, it, it literally, in, you know, Pastor Curtis talked about, there are times where he needed to get on his knees and bow to pray because he needed to settle some things with the Lord, right? You know, and it, it was just that bowing his heart. There's nothing magical about it, but it is an expression. And I will tell you, there's something very powerful and, and almost, you know, Kind of cleansing because my heart, it's not mine anymore. Just like for the nation of Israel, they would put their hands on that and it would, you know, they'd send that animal gone. I, I left it. I put it in your hands. Lord. That's why at the bottom of the page, you see there's some suggested songs for you to look at. There's a song called Out of My Hands by Jeremy Camp. It's an upbeat song. It's enjoyable. If you turn on K-Love, it'll be on probably five times a day. <laughs> Um, and it's an upbeat song. And so we don't necessarily think of it, you know, we think of it in, in an upbeat way of like, oh yeah, when life's too hard, I'm just, it's in your hands, Lord. But when you're in the crucible of life and it, and it, and there's challenge and there's difficulty and there's despair, take it out of my hand and giving it to him. That's beautiful. And to me, that is ultimate grace. There's ultimate grace for that, you know? Uh, 
Paul besought the Lord three times. He said to take this thorn away from me. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. There's, there's not a, a, a single thing more to be added to God's power. Uh, and it's demonstrated in a maximum capacity in our very own weakness. And that, well, this is just an expression of that to the Lord. So, um, again, I put, put it out there. This is a private thing, you know, for me. I'm not, I am not putting myself on the altar of the sacrifice before us on a Sunday morning of, you know, Lord, I'm just going to submit my life to you. You know, no, this is, that's, this is in the privacy of my mind sometimes. I'll tell you what, though, driving in the car alone with my thoughts and frustrations and all of that, the Lord can work very, very much so. so. Any thoughts or questions or, you know, things that anybody would like to add to that idea? <laughs> I do a lot of praying driving. Yeah. And I sing a lot when I'm by myself. Um, and so I'm talking in the car and singing. And sometimes I'll pull up in traffic and look. And the person next to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's from California. It's okay. <laughs> but what's important um, is our example of. It's really godliness, but our example in working with people, and you alluded to it the, the last time too, um, people will come to you, maybe they've heard you pray, but you kind of live like, boy, that guy doesn't swear or anything. Um, and they'll say, Doug, would you pray for me? Or would you pray about this situation? Because they think you're closer to God. Than they could yeah. possibly be. Yeah. And that isn't true. Um, yeah. Nobody can be closer to God than a Christian. Amen. Nobody. Amen. There's, there's some element there in that verse that we started at in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about lifting up holy hands. Mm -hmm. And the Lord wants us to come to Him with a, with a plainness in our walk as well. I haven't explored that entirely, but I. I've thought on that a number of times. I think there's more there than I presently understand. But that verse is pretty plain about coming to him with holiness. Yeah. When he, there is a connection immediately just with that. that part. There was the symbolism of actually what was going on. There was holiness. Holiness was part of the transaction of what was going on with at least the Old Testament, Old Testament picture there. So that's just one aspect. But um, there is that other aspect too of, you know, uh, of a, a holy walk before the Lord. I think of a world praying to God. Mm -hmm. um, years ago in 2011, when I was in Southeast Asia, traveling in many countries, um, um, the Buddhists, um, I think of them. But so many people in the Philippines, Catholic people, praying, you know, in their minds and God looking down. <laughs> There's this chorus of people praying to God, and then oh, there's a Christian. I gotta listen to him. <laughs> I gotta hear her. Uh, God knows that, and 
excited to get excited to share with somebody besides Christ is that if we know Christ, God hears and answers prayer. Okay. Amen. Uh, I was just going to recommend to you guys who pray in the car to keep your hands on the wheel. That's <laughs> <laughs> not the time to lift up. I know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. No, no. That's all. I I close my eyes. I close my eyes too. Yeah, it's really windy and windy and Yes. Probably most of these postures don't apply to any I know. <laughs> Why are there feet on the driver wheel? All right. So this is just. One example that we see in Scripture, but it was throughout. There's there's a precedent of that. Some other possible postures. First uh, Chronicles chapter 17 verses 16. This David goes and it says that he sat before the Lord. So seated is a, a posture. And I love that you know we draw all of these things out. Prayer, again, is relational, and it's in the context of relationship. Even, uh, you know, this is a physical picture of it here, you know. Uh, hey, Dad. And then there's also other aspects of just comfortable sitting in the presence, you know, uh, uh, fellowship there. So First Chronicles helps if I turn in my Bible there. And Tom, verses, verse 16, please. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house, that thou hast brought me hither? Yeah. So David the king went in and sat before the Lord. Hmm. Um, we know then also beyond that, that Christ... He actually got on his face. Um, and we could go to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. We won't turn there just for time. We've kind of looked at it here recently with um, with Christ's crucifixion, right? Um, but Christ, there's one place in Luke, it says he went and knelt down. And then at some point, Matthew records Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where he goes and he, he's, he's praying. I mean, he's basically submitting to the will of God and accepting and understanding that he is going to be separated from his father with whom he's lived in perfect union always and forever. It, and he sweat drops of blood. Is that even physically possible? Well, we know it is. But, I mean, that level of distress because he was going to be bearing our sin. And in that, in that, the rawness of that, it says that he just, he got on his face. You know, um, that's a posture that I don't think I've ever used. But it's an example. He got on his face. The fifth posture that I want to point out that Kevin points out in his book is facing or toward God. Oh, let's read this quote here. 
but the physical position and posture of prayer is not the important part. The submission and bowing of the hearts and will to God is what is truly important. That's what we've been saying. You know, just the posture might be an expression of what's going on here. But we did even note that there are times where the posture sets the tone and foundation to help get the heart where it needs to be. I've seen both played out in my life, which came for first the chicken or the egg. That can be present in that, and the Lord can use, and he has used both in my very own life before. So this final position of, of facing or toward God. And with that, it brings us full circle back to this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. So Ephesians chapter 3. And here, uh, Pastor Sather brings out the idea that's present in the, in the Greek preposition here, where it's, it's, he says, I, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that to the Father is a, is a preposition of, of facing or toward God. And so we pray facing toward God is the idea that he brings out here. Um, I think that's... That's possible. I'm careful about going that deep into prepositions for certain things like that. But the idea is there, again, because it's of the relationship we have. That we can face God. We can come to him boldly. I mean, it, we don't have to turn away or, hey, I'm here. Can 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 I have this? You know, that's, that's not the idea at all. Excellent quote he has here. Paul's prayer addressed boldly and confidently to the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. We have a bold approach to God who waits and desires with the Father's heart of love for us to turn to him. Thus, Paul's prayer was made facing God, not in fear, but within the relationship he enjoyed with God knowing he could speak directly with his God and that God was listening intently as he prayed. That's a beautiful quote. I love that. That's a, that's a, a, a good quote. And, and that is a, a great ending point for us here. We enjoy prayer to whatever extent that is between you and the Lord that these postures might be utilized. The intent is that you're communing and you're in fellowship and communication with God the Father. And we have that boldness. We have that access to him. What thoughts does anyone have? Or any, you know, I had challenged us last week about, you know, some personal reflections regarding prayer. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share? Well, 
That just highlights the, the context of relationship, but in community then, you know, with one another, where we are encouraged many, many times over to pray for one another, to pray with one another. I know some of the most energizing times uh, recently, in the past month, I've had some opportunities to pray with individuals who are walking away from praying with one another. It was like I had a double espresso. If not more, because I was like, I was just invigorated and just so joyful in the, the fellowship that we enjoyed horizontally and vertically is, is very beautiful. Um, praise the Lord. In this, in this church or our churches, mm-hmm. you know, we see someone who's hanging around after the service in their pew. Mm-hmm. And one of us would go over and say, hi. Mm-hmm. And help you in any way, you know. Yeah. And they're that close to trusting Christ, but nobody talks to them. Mm-hmm. Ready to put your hand on that might be harassing, <laughs> uh, or showing you know some sexual desire or whatever, and mm-hmm. not it at all. Yeah. As a family, we often have prayed together by holding hands, joining hands, as you know, as if we're joining together. We're, we're praying together, and, and it's not just one person praying. We're doing it collectively. We're joining together. We're in agreement about that. Yeah. And we find that meaningful as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's that's also where the, the freedom and the beauty of grace comes in of you don't do that every time, no. but sometimes. Well, frequently, and, 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 you know, that's. Again, where we don't, these aren't prescriptive of, we got to do the, you know, because as soon as we reduce anything in the spiritual life to a checklist, we've lost the spirit of God and we've lost the beauty and freedom of truth and grace. And so, you know, you can't reduce it to, we must hold hands at 10 a.m. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. But, but as a spirit of a checklist, we do need to pray because I hear a bunch of little kids up there. So let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the day. Thank you for the conversation. Just the truth from your word that we can approach you boldly because you are our Father. Thank you, Father. I lift up the needs, the burdens, and the distresses of each of your children here this morning. Encourage them, strengthen them, work to your glory in those situations. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.